0: You're listening to World Oil Deep Dive, conversations with energy industry leaders and engineers about the market trends and technologies shaping the oil and gas industry. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to World Oil's Deep Dive. This week's episode highlights a segment from the World Oil Forecast Breakfast, recorded in Houston on January 26, 2024. In its 98th year, The World Oil Forecast and Review is one of the upstream oil and gas industry's most trusted sources of projections and data relating to global E and P activity. We hope to see you at next year's event. Our first speaker is going to be Ken Medlock. So Dr. Medlock is a Fellow in Energy and Resource Economics at Baker Institute. So with that, please help me welcome Ken to the stage. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I was telling folks at the table that my talk is probably going to be a little different than what you expected. Uh, And it's largely because of uh, the experience, really, over the last several years in discussing forecasting. Been a lot of very eye-opening meetings and engagements that we've had at the Baker Institute. The Baker Institute is a public policy think tank. We have a lot of different programs. The energy program is our largest program. We do a lot of work with different agencies in government, um, uh, DOD, DOE, Department of State, um, Commerce, uh, you name it. We, we have sort of our fingers in the pie uh, in thinking about how to solve some of the most difficult and complex problems that there are. Uh, we also engage with governments around the world. A lot of times, and this shouldn't be that big of a surprise, you'll have a lot of different government institutions, ministerial delegations, whatever, come through Houston for a variety of reasons. Uh, Houston has a second largest consular core in the in the nation, so it's a lot of touch points here. Uh, but they come through and they ultimately want to meet with us. And so over the last decade or so we've hosted on average 23 different delegations every year. Um, and they're from everywhere. And what's really been eye-opening about that is the perspective they bring in conversations about energy. Uh, and that ultimately includes everything and oil, right? So the one thing that has sort of resonated with me is that we all view the world from where we sit. So what we think about the future of oil, the future of gas, the future of electric power, the future of decarbonization efforts, whatever the case may be, it's very much tainted by where you sit or shaped by where you sit. So when we're looking forward and we're thinking about what's coming next, we have to recognize that priorities are often very different. And so that helps shape policy, that helps shape your view of the future, because every day when you wake up, you look out your window, and depending on where you are in the world, it will shape exactly what you see. So if you're sitting in Beijing, the view of the world is very different than if you're sitting in Houston, than if you're sitting in New York City, than if you're sitting in Lagos, Rio de Janeiro, I can go around the world, and it's literally different everywhere. And that is a really important point that ultimately, we hope comes out in forecasting efforts, but it doesn't always. Interested in all things oil and gas? We've got a podcast for you, The Energy Pipeline. Join us each week as we cover the latest trends, transformations, and success stories alongside various key figures from the world's leading energy companies and beyond. Listen to The Energy Pipeline wherever you stream your podcasts or visit cat.com slash A lot of times forecasting and narratives are very much shaped by where you sit. And that means they don't translate to the rest of the world. And the interesting thing about that is the world is changing in radical ways that 30 years ago we probably wouldn't have thought about, but we need to think very consciously about it today. So what does the world of energy look like? And I've got, you know, a few slides with, with you know, data that I'm going to show you. I wouldn't be a good economist if I wasn't showing you slides with data. So. Um, What you're looking at here are basically two graphs, same scale vertically, total energy use by source for the OECD and the non-OECD. So the OECD collectively is countries of North America, Western Europe, Central Europe, most of Eastern Europe, um, Australia, Japan, Korea, New Zealand, uh, Chile, and there have been a couple of new additions over the last 18 months as well, but it is collectively the wealthiest group of countries in the world. Uh, It is the group of countries that drove all previous discourse for the last 150 years about industrialization, trade policy, geopolitics, you name it, they were at the center of it. So it shouldn't be that surprising that any conversation about energy really centered on what those countries were talking about. You look at the the graphic that is on your right, that's the non-OECD. So left OECD, right non-OECD. And what do you see? You see back in 2007, non-OECD energy demand, so that's the rest of the world, surpassed OECD energy demand. At that point, we have to realize that the discussion about energy on a global scene is very different. now, Because it's not about what the most developed countries in the world are doing anymore, it's actually about what the large, up-and-coming, rapidly developing nations, particularly in Asia, over the last 25 years are doing. Now if you look at the energy use by source, you can see the thing at the bottom, that sort of dark green, that's crude oil. Right above that in red is natural gas, just above that is coal, then you've got nuclear, hydro, and there's a thin purple one up there which is wind, a thin orange one which is solar, and then a brown one which is everything else, geothermal, biomass, waste, etc. So what do you see when you look at this picture? You see something that is dominated by the first three colors, the green, the red, and and the dark gray. So that's hydrocarbons. So a lot of times we get lost in what we hear in the news about record investment in energy source X, right? And it's always quoted in terms of capacity. But what i have got to tell you is when you talk about capacity for wind, for solar, for batteries, it's not really a very meaningful number. Because what ultimately matters is the energy that is delivered. Notice when we talk about What's happening in the world of crude oil, or natural gas, or coal, we always hear about the volume. So it's a very different discussion. We're comparing apples to oranges when we have a discussion like that. So we have to be focused on what is the amount of energy that's delivered, and the world today is still very much a hydrocarbon-based energy system. Prediction about what's going to happen is incredibly complicated by the where, the when, and the how energy use will evolve. And one thing that is definitely true, we've seen this for the last roughly 30 years, energy use in the most developed, the richest, the wealthiest countries has not been going up. It's actually been relatively flat. Energy use everywhere else has been rising because those countries are starting to grow. And I'll throw another number at you which highlights a very important point that's related to scale, that you have to take into account when you're thinking about what the future of oil or any energy source looks like. The OECD collectively has about 1.4 billion people in it. There's roughly 8.2 billion people on the planet. So if I tell you that energy use in the OECD has not been growing largely because it's a very well-developed set of countries, post-industrial phase of development, really relying on imports of energy-intensive goods and services now. Financial services, other things like that, are really what drive the additional growth in GDP over time. Very service-oriented economies. U.S., for example, 82% of GDP comes from the service sector. Go back to 1970, that wasn't even close to true. It was more like 56%. So you see economies, as they continue to grow, they develop and they evolve. And it has massive implications for the kind of energy they use. When you look at the (coughs) non-OECD countries, you actually see that Those countries, as they grow, are still moving through various phases of heavy industrialization, moving into manufacturing. Those are very energy intensive modes of development. And so their demand is going to continue to rise. It also is true that those countries comprise 6.8 billion people. So it's an issue of scale. So when we hear things like, the end of oil is near, as was famously trumpeted by IEA right before COP 28. That should immediately, obviously, make you raise your eyebrow, but you should always go back to the the fundamentals, go back to the data. Because the data don't tell that story. Global oil market has been growing. This is a, a picture of the change in demand on the left and the change in supply on the right by country. They're color-coded sort of generally by region, so the red is Asia. I point that out because you can see that on the picture on the left, the change in demand from 2000 to 2022. It's really an Asia-centric discussion. Significant increases in demand out of the Asian, developing Asian countries. Now you've seen some demand destruction as well. Japan is really, in Korea, you've seen, you know, flat to declining demand, particularly declining in Japan. Then you've got a host of countries that are situated in Europe and U.S. where you really haven't seen much growth at all and even decline in oil demand. But, okay, so there's some decline there, but we're still only talking about a relatively small fraction of the world. On net, you've seen over that 22-year window, and this includes COVID, the global oil market has grown by 20 million barrels a day. That is not a story of decline, not even close. And what's interesting is, I remember sitting in a, at a major conference, it's really academically oriented, it's the American Energy Association Conference, every year back in 2015, and I had a discussion, uh, it was on a panel discussion, we both made presentations about the future of oil, with um, the head of uh, the energy practice at McKinsey. And back then, they had just recently published some views that the world oil market was going to enter into a steady, slow decline by 2024. Well, I don't know if you've looked at the most recent analysis out of that same group. It's now 2030. So we can keep moving the goalposts. Eventually, it's going to be right. But at some point, you have to recognize that the fundamentals still matter. Thanks for tuning into our show. Please check out the show notes for the links we discussed in the podcast. We value your opinions, so if you have any questions or comments, kindly email them to us at deepdive@worldoil.com. Additionally, we'd appreciate it if you could rate us on your preferred podcast listening app. Lastly, don't forget to visit worldoil.com for the latest technical articles and news about the oil and gas industry.